And I appreciate these nun girls coming over tonight. And I do love your pastor. Good to have my father-in-law with me tonight, Brother Bud. And I appreciate him so very much leaving his wife, my mother-in-law, at home. I believe the Lord is able to move in this service tonight. No hindering spirits. <laughs> All right, I got it out of my system. Turn to somebody beside of you and say, hey, you look better with your mask on. Amen. Did anybody hate your mask? Did you hate that? I never thought I'd go to the bank with a mask on. During COVID, I went to make a deposit and I had my mask on and that girl behind that bulletproof vest had her mask on. Curtis, I didn't know if I was robbing her or if she was robbing me. I didn't really know the difference. And I was complaining about my mask and Julie said, you need yours. I said, why? She said, that mask improves your looks by 50%. And then I said, get behind me, Satan. And you young fellas, don't use that line. Because you may laugh at it at Union Grove, but it ain't funny in Atlanta, Georgia. Anybody here know Jack Trever? You know what I'm talking about? He called me. He said, now, Brother Arthur, you know, he talks like a Yankee, but he's a good old boy. He said, now, Brother Arthur, take it easy, recovering now, and don't talk, don't sing, don't make any noise, take care of your voice. And said, I'm going to mail you a bell, a little golden bell. And he said, you just ring that bell when you need Julie, and she'll come running. I said, Jack, that might work in Santa Clara, California. But that don't, that, that don't work for a girl from Wilkes County, North Carolina. So that bell came, and she was standing. I opened that box. I pulled that bell out, and Julie went, you ring that thing one time, I'll put it where you'll never find it again. <laughs> Woo! But the Lord is good. If you saved tonight, raise your right hand. If you know it, raise your left hand. If you don't know your right from your left, just say praise the Lord. There's Duke fans here. God bless you tonight. Can I come back next year? He said, you ain't even coming back tomorrow night, will you? John chapter number six, breaking the text tonight in verse 15. When Jesus, therefore, perceived that they would come and take him by force. To make him king, he departed again into a mountain himself alone. Verse 16. And when even was now come, his disciples went down into the sea and entered into a ship and went over the sea toward Capernaum and it was now dark and Jesus was not come unto them. I want to say, not yet, but hang on, he's on the way. And the sea arose by reason of a great wind that blew. So when they had rowed about 25 or 30 furlongs, underline this phrase, they see Jesus. It was dark, it was a storm, but they see Jesus. What is he doing in verse 19? They see Jesus walking not by the sea, not under the sea, but on the sea. Amen. Where is he going? And drawing nigh under the ship. And they were afraid. 
But he saith unto them, I love these three little big words, it is I. And he followed it with three more little big words, be not afraid. I love verse 21, I see a little humor in it. Then they willingly, I guess so after all of that they'd gone through. And let me ask you this, what has God got to let you go through for your willing to open up your life and let him pilot your boat? Then they willingly received him into the ship. And I love this. And immediately the ship was at the land whether they went. And I'm interested tonight in that little phrase in our text where it said, and they see Jesus walking on the sea. The very thing they thought would be their destruction, the very thing they thought would be their end, Jesus was walking on top of it. The waves and the wind and the uncontrollable circumstances was out of their hand and over their head. But aren't you glad when the wind and the waves are out of your hand and over your head, they're under his feet. I'm glad tonight the devil is not in control. I'm glad tonight Osama, Obama, your mama, or Biden, or Nancy, or Donald Trump is not in control. I'm not in control. You're not in control. The sovereign God of heaven is still on the throne. Like most of you in this room, I was raised in the South. And I'm not sure what language Southerners speak, but it is a form of English. But I know what I'm saying, don't you? And Southerners are notorious for using phrases that most people besides us don't know what we're talking about. For instance, anybody here ever heard the old word traipse? Why, that guy traped up in here like he owned a place. I really thought my mama made that word up, but it is in the dictionary. Traipse is a real word. It means to walk about. Well, here's a word that I've heard my mother-in-law use down through the years, and Julie and I really thought she made it up. Has anybody here ever heard the word discombobulated? How many of you have ever heard discombobulated? And I really thought Jerry Wishon made up that word. But I looked it up. It is a real word. It is in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. And pastor, when I seen the definition of the word discombobulated, I thought that word fits our society. That word fits the day and the hour in which we live. The word discombobulated means out of place, out of sort, out of step, bewildered, confused. We would say it like this in Southern, something ain't right about that. I didn't say that, I said that, something ain't right about that. And brother, politically, we're discombobulated. Morally, we're discombobulated. I told them guys in our church, if I catch you men in them women's restrooms, we're gonna need some more handicapped restrooms. We're discombobulated morally, politically. And sad to say, even religiously, we're discombobulated. 
There are churches all over America that are called Baptist churches that no longer believe the Bible is without error. And I don't understand that. And we're living in a world of confusion. And I'm telling you tonight, if you're not careful, we'll all get discombobulated. I thought about preaching a message on the discombobulation of society. And Brother Pope, I guess when you get revival, you get recombobulated or undiscombobulated. But I believe that word describes the chaos in our text. And by the way, these disciples are not out of the will of God. They're in the will of God. By the way tonight, these disciples are not disobeying God. They are obeying God. These disciples tonight are not sailing on their own. Jesus told them to go. He told them what ship to get in. And he told them what course to take. But it tells me something tonight that you can be in the smack dab center of the will of God and uncontrollable circumstances will come into your life. They are discombobulated. They are bewildered. Their whole world is turned upside down. But I'm glad standing somewhere in the shadows of their discombobulation, their fear, their, their bewilderment, their confusion is Jesus Christ, the Savior of all men. The rose of Sharon, the lily of the valley, that's my king. And I'm glad he was not troubled. He was not bewildered. He was not discombobulated. He was walking on the troubled waters. The very thing they thought would bring them down, he's on top of it tonight. And I want to tell everybody in this room, no matter what's coming your way, no matter how dark, no matter how terrible, no matter how confusing and bewildering and discombobulated you might be, standing somewhere in the shadows is a Savior that's walking on the troubled waters of your life. And he has never been confused. He has never been bewildered and he's never been outdone because there's no boundaries, borders, or limits to the power of Almighty God. They're under his feet. Three things in our text tonight I want you to see. I want you to see the disciples. Then I want you to see the divine. And then I want you to see the destination. Now, when you look at the disciples, that's us. But when you see the divine, that's him. But when you reach the destination, that's it. And aren't you glad one day it's gonna be it? And there'll be no more storms. There'll be no more discombobulation in our life. Look down in our text tonight about the disciples. That's us. These disciples on this boat in this uncontrollable circumstance, is a picture of you and I as we sail through these uncharted waters of life headed to the other side. Notice in the text tonight three things about these disciples. Number one, I want you to notice the darkness that they encountered. Twice in our text tonight, we are reminded 
that the storm, this uncontrollable circumstance did not come upon them in the morning. It did not come upon them in the middle of the day. But twice in our text tonight, we're reminded that this circumstance came in a dark time. It came in the evening time when the sun was not shining. You couldn't see the blue sky. You couldn't see the clouds. They were in a darkness. The Bible says it was evening. The Bible said it was now dark. They found themselves in a dark season in their life. But you know what these disciples found out? The same thing you and I are going to find out, that the God of the day is still the God of the night. They found out that he is not only God when the sun is shining, but they found out that he is God when the sun is not shining. They found out that he's not only the sovereign God of the day, but he's the sovereign God that rules the night. You know what they found out? They found out the seasons of life. I'm about to enjoy my own preaching right here. They found out that the seasons of life, nor the time of day, diminished God's sovereign power to meet the needs in their life. Boy, I saw this the other day. Some of the greatest things that God ever did in the Bible, he did it under a shroud or a cloud of darkness. While it was dark when Abraham went out and God said, count the stars, I'll bless them that bless thee. It was a dark time when Jacob dreamed the vision and the ladder out of heaven coming down to the earth and the Lord standing at the top and he woke up and said, surely the Lord was in this place. It was a night season when Daniel went to the lion's den. It was a night season when the Hebrew boys went to the fiery furnace. It was even a night season when our Savior arrived and the shepherds gathered on the Judean hills and sang the glory down. And a star stuck out its silver finger over a manger and said, that's him. Oh, it was dark in the night when Jesus prayed in Gethsemane and drank the very drops of the bitter dregs of the wrath of Almighty God. And it even got dark in the middle of the afternoon when Jesus died for our sins. And it was in the evening when they laid him in Joseph's new tomb. But boy, Psalm 30 and verse 5 was fulfilled. Though weeping may endure for a night, joy cometh in the morning. And there There may be a doctor's visit. There may be a domestic situation. There may be a wayward child or an unfaithful mate or a family conflict or a financial adversity or a doctor's report that will cause the sun to hide and darkness will be in your life and darkness will be in your mind. But you remember this tonight. He's the God of the day and he's the God of the night and he's not only real in the day, he is still real in the dark time. It was dark, but the son of God's divine control was still a shining. The darkness they encountered. Number two in the text, I want you to see the distance they had traveled. 
The Bible said in our text tonight they had rowed about 25 or 30 furlongs. He said, now, Brother Joe, what is so special about that? Well, you know, this miracle of Jesus stealing the storm comes right after the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000. You get your Bible maps out and figure out where Jesus was when he fed those 5,000 over to the city of Capernaum. They had to go down this mountain, go back into the sea, go up the coast of the Sea of Galilee. And from where Jesus told them to go to the other side, to where the city of Capernaum is, was a distance of eight miles. Now let that number eight sink deep. They had a distance of eight miles to go. Now get your Bible dictionary. Figure how long a furlong is and do the math and this is what you get. If they had rowed about 25 or 30 furlongs, they had traveled four to four and a half miles. Now do the math. If you've got eight miles to go and you've only gone four, eight take away four is four. So you know what that means? They had as far to go as when they started. If you've got eight miles to go and you've only gone four, that means you're halfway. That means you're at the midpoint. And you know what's so bad about being halfway? You know what's so bad about being stuck in the middle? They're cut off from the help that's behind them. And they're just as far from the help that's in front. We call it no man's land. They are stuck in the middle. Let me say it like this. They had reached a halftime in their life. Now, you know what it means to be in halftime or be stuck in the middle? Number one, that means you're not home yet. But it also means you're too far to turn back. Oh, a lot of times in our journey to heaven, we have what I call a midlife crisis. We have what I call a halftime crisis. We're not home yet, but I want to serve notice on the devil. I'm too far to turn back now. And sometimes I feel like I'm just stuck in the middle. I look and there's no help behind and I look and I got as far to go as I had when I started and I just feel like I'm all alone and abandoned, stuck in the middle in halftime. And I want to tell you, there's a lot of people that quit at halftime. There's a lot of people that throw in the towel at halftime. There's a lot of people that go home too early at halftime. If you are a sports fan and if you are from Georgia, just that phrase alone, halftime, frightens you. Because I don't care how good we are doing, you let it come halftime, we'll get discombobulated. I will never forget it several years ago, we had Alabama. And by the way, you don't know what a joy it has been not to hear anybody say roll tide in several years. I think the tide got rolled over. But I remember one year we were playing, the, the Bulldogs was playing roll tide. 
And for that first half, we had Jalen Hurts on the ropes. He was in the phone booth dialing 911. And then we went into halftime. And only a guy like Nick Saban, I wished he'd get saved. Only a guy like Nick Saban would do this. The only man I know that's got the guts to do this. He goes in at halftime. And I don't know what he says to them. I don't know how he threatens them. But he does what nobody has ever done. In the middle of the biggest game of the year, he goes and gets a second string quarterback. Julio, Tolio from Julio. (laughs) And the next thing I know, the Bulldogs is in the cage calling on their mama. Because, brother, they didn't quit at halftime. They didn't give up at halftime. They re-energized at halftime. And they made up in halftime what they messed up in first time. And I was barely getting over that. And then a year later, the Falcons, by a miracle of God, got to the Super Bowl. But we had one problem. We were playing pretty boy Tom Brady. Mm. And the first half of that game, we had pretty boy Tom Brady crying, calling for his mama. The dirty birds was running the ball down his throat. And then here it goes again, halftime. And Tom Brady goes in that locker room at halftime. I don't know if he gets saved and sanctified and full of the Holy Ghost. I don't know what he does. But he comes out on the other side at halftime and the goat has done it again. The dirty birds is in the cage and here's the Falcons' famous famous phrase. Are you ready? Wait till next year. I found out you can get the fire beat out of you at halftime. I found out you can quit at halftime. But I found out something else. You can regroup, you can revive, you can rejuvenate. You can refresh and come out on halftime and finish the game. You say, Brother Joe, I feel like I'm stuck in the middle. I have nowhere to turn. Well, if you've done the best you can do and all you've done is got halfway, laid down your oar, quit rowing against the will of God and just let Jesus come walking on the water because when you've done all you can do and you barely got halfway, wait on Jesus, he'll come to your boat and he'll take you the rest of the journey. The darkness, the distance. Number three, notice in the text, notice the despair that they fell. Notice how the King James word this, and they were afraid. Say that little phrase with me tonight. And they were afraid. Think about it like this tonight. What they had heard, what they had seen, What they did not know that lay ahead caused them to fear. And let me say this tonight about fear. When it comes to fear, there are two kinds of people. There are those that's been afraid. And then there are those who's lied about not being afraid. You say, but you just don't know how strong I am. You're going to get afraid. Oh, you don't know how much I pray and read my Bible. More power to you. More people ought to do it. 
Brother, there's going to come a phone call. There's going to come a doctor's visit. There's going to come a knock at a door. One of your youngins is going to fall in your arms and say, Daddy, you fix that. And Daddy can't fix that. Brother, there's going to be something in all of our lives where our faith gives away to fear and we get afraid and we get worried and we get anxious and we'll doubt and we'll get confused. And if you're not careful, you'll get up and say, oh God, I can't feel you. I can't find you. God, where are you? What's going on in my world? Why has it got to be this way? But I've come to tell you, when you are afraid, he's the peacemaker and the peace bringer and the peace speaker. Hey, I'm here to tell you, when you are afraid, standing somewhere in the shadows, you'll find the Savior that says, fear not, it is I, be not afraid. See the disciples, that's us. But I don't wanna, I don't wanna overemphasize the problem. I wanna come to number two and I wanna wear out a little bit the solution. Not only do I see the disciples, but now I see the divine. Not only is the disciples, that's us. But when you see the divine, that's him. By the way, the reason why the ship didn't sink and nobody died on the journey is because the divine showed up and they had to say, that's him. Oh, I love the way the Holy Spirit breaks through in this passage. Notice what the Bible said. It's dark. They're stuck in the middle. I mean, they are afraid. And then all of a sudden, the Holy Ghost inserts this. And they see Jesus. And they see Jesus. And they see Jesus. You know what I got to say about that? It's about time. Because you know what they had seen up to this point? Nothing but themselves. You know what they had seen up to this point? Nothing but failure and fear in the eyes of one another. But now, somehow, they're not looking at themselves. They're not looking at each other. They're not looking at the wind. They're not looking at the waves. They're not looking at the rain. They are looking beyond their circumstances and beyond their failure and beyond their self-sufficiency. And now they see Jesus. Now they see Jesus. It would behoove all of us tonight to take your eyes off of yourself, take your eyes off of somebody else, and take Take your eyes off of your uncontrollable circumstances and see Jesus. You said, now wait a minute, Brother Joe, you're contradicting yourself. You just said a while ago it was dark. I did, and it was. But, but, but wait a minute, Brother Joe, you said a while ago that they were caught in the middle and they didn't know what to do. Yep, I said it, you're right, they were. But wait a minute, Brother Joe, now you're saying they see Jesus. They did, and that's what I said. You say it's a contradiction. No, it ain't. You say, yes, it is. I say, no, it ain't. You say, yes, it is. I say, no, it ain't. You say, Brother Joe, I'm not the smartest rock in the box, but I got enough sense to know you can't see nobody in the dark. I'm glad you brought that up. 
When you're the light of the world, when you're the son of righteousness, when you're the bright in the morning star, when you're the day star that arises in your hearts, you're going to stick out. In fact, no matter the darker the night, the brighter the light. Let me clear me off a piece of ground and just say hallelujah and glory. And normally I would scream there. There is no darkness that can put out God's light. No, I'm not an ostrich with my head in the sand. No, I'm not living in some fantasy world. I know this world is messed up. I mean, I know morally, politically, we are in a stinking horrible mess. But I want to tell you the light is still shining. There is no darkness that can put out God's light. And no matter how dark it may be, you can see Jesus. Notice two things in the text tonight about Jesus, the divine. Number one, notice he's a walking. The Bible said, and they see Jesus walking on the sea. Not under the sea, but on the sea. Now let me preface this. I know I got this Pentecostal microphone and I ain't no TV prosperity gospel preacher. But it's been so long since Baptist realized who we were in Christ and what Romans chapter eight says, we run around like we're some ragtag, anemic, defeated army. You know what Romans eight says? That we are the body of Christ. No condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Led by the spirit of God, they are the sons of God. I'm having a good time quoting the Bible. More than conquerors. Nothing shall separate us from the love of God. Hallelujah. And not some things, not a few things, but all things work together for good to them that love God. And I'm not a prosperity gospel preacher, but I want to tell you what's on my heart. He's not under your pain. He's not under your need. He's not under your circumstance. Honey, he's on top of it. He's on your problem. He's on your fear. He is on your trouble. He is on your need. Bless God, he's on it. Somebody said, boy, the Lord better get on to that. He's already on it before we ever got there. I'm glad he's not under it. He's not overwhelmed. He's not outpowered. He's not bum-fuzzled. That's another one of them southern words. And he's not discombobulated. I'm glad he's on top. Woo! And notice he's walking on the sea. And notice what the King James said. He's not out there just walking around, wandering around. He's headed somewhere. The Bible said in our text tonight, and they see Jesus walking on the sea, drawing. Say that word with me. Drawing nigh unto the ship. I love that word draw in the Bible. You know what the word draw means? It means to be induced. It means to be pulled by a force. How many has ever went to a well and drew water? You took the initiative You went to where the water was and you brought it up. How many's breathing tonight? 
I know some of you are because you've been taking them garlic pills because I can smell you all over this building. There's two things you ain't got to tell nobody you do. If you smoke or take garlic pills, we know. Yeah, I said, I've been on this garlic diet. I know you're about to kill me. One guy run a bit of Caleb one time, got right in his face. He said, glory to God, do you recognize me? He said, not your face, but your breast familiar. Can I get an amen? You know what the, how many knows what I'm talking about? You draw your breath. You pull it in. It means to be induced. It means to be pulled by a force. And the Bible's filled with the drawing. And did you know that 98% of the drawing in the Bible is on the part of a sovereign God drawing a depraved sinner to himself? Woo! Let me run a rabbit. Anybody in this room remember the day you got induced? When you got glory. How many went to church just to shut somebody up? I don't want to go. I ain't interested. But if I go, maybe so-and-so will shut their mouth and quit inviting me. And I'm going to go, but I ain't going to pay attention. I'm going to sit there and daydream. I'm not going to listen to a word of that. And I ain't going to get down there and waller in that order like a bunch of holy rollers. I'm going to sit there and believe and go smoke me a cigarette. He said, how you know, this is North Carolina and everybody smokes here. Hey, and then you came and you sat in that seat, minding your own business. And before you know it, you listening. And before you know it, you're paying attention. And before you know it, you're down there wallowing with them holy rollers and that all. What happened? You got induced. You got interested. Woo! Man, there's nothing about a sinner in his natural state that wants to do anything with God. He runs from God. He flees from God. Oh, but when the Holy Ghost induces him and draws him, amen, I'm glad I know what I'm talking about. Hey, aren't you glad one day you got induced and you got drawn to Calvary through the cords of Holy Ghost conviction? 98% of the time, drawings on God's part drawing us. But as Gomer Powell would say, Shazam. Look what happens in our text. I'm not being drawn. The disciples are not induced. Now Jesus is induced. Now Jesus is overwhelmed. Now Jesus is being pulled by a force. Oh, Lord, you say, Brother Joe, what in the world can induce the sovereign God of heaven? I know the words. What would... As Ralph Sexton Senior used to say, that'll make you want to climb a wall backwards. Can I just ask you this tonight? What would cause the sovereign God of heaven that created everything to have a desire to go to that ship? 
Well, I can tell you this. It wasn't a stern. It wasn't the bow. It wasn't the mast. It wasn't the ropes. It wasn't the sail. It wasn't the anchor. It wasn't the rudder. It wasn't the wheel. You said, well, overwhelm the master and got him interested to where he's pulled. I'll tell you what it is. It's them men on that boat. You say, who are they? He created them. He had called them. He had converted them. And in the next book, he's going to take them to Pentecost, fill them with the Holy Ghost, and send them all over the world. You want to get happy on this one? And we're going to have church in downtown Union Grove, North Carolina, 2,000 years later because of what God's going to do in the lives of them men on that boat. Let me just say it like this. He's got some big plans for them. He has their best interest in mind. They ain't seen nothing yet. Oh, glory. And he has so much invested. He has so much in mind. He's not about to let them drown in that sea. He's not about to let this be the last chapter of their life. And the Holy Ghost told me today about four o'clock, I want you to go to Calvary North. I've been to Calvary South. I've been to Calvary North. I've been to Calvary. Say amen. You go up there and tell them folks at Calvary North in Union Grove, North Carolina, pastored by the bishop and the cardinal and the nuns and the popes, you go tell them God loves you. He's got big plans for you. He's got too much invested for you. He's not going to let the devil devour you. He's not going to let the world get you. He's headed to your boat. He's headed to your vessel. He's pulled. He's drawn. He's got your best interest in mind. And just when you need him the most, he he will show up and show off and show out. Hallelujah, boy. Preach it again. Woo! Drawing nigh. Can I just say this? When God makes up his mind, he's going, get out of the way. He'll be there. Because nothing can stop him. You said, now, Dr. Arthur, I believe he can be stopped. Let's deduce that a minute, okay? What you gonna use to stop him? Talk to him. What, what are you gonna use to stop him? You can't use water, he'll walk on it. You can't use fire, he'll walk around in it. You can't build a wall around him, he'll shatter down. You can't slam the door because he'll walk through and won't even ring the bell. You can't nail him to a cross because he'll bleed on it in three days, render it powerless. And you can't seal him in a grave because he'll step out on the other side. The devil can't stop him and the demons can't stop him and distance can't stop him and disease can't stop him and and discombobulation can't stop him and death can't stop him. I mean to tell you when a sovereign God makes up his mind, he's gonna rescue you. Help is on the way. And can I just jump out on the limb and say it like this? It's as good if he's already there. Because guess what? He is. And they see Jesus walking on the sea, drawing nigh to the ship. He's not only a walking, but notice what the Bible said. He's a talking. 
And while he's walking, he's speaking to those disciples. And he says, it is I. You say, Brother Joe, there's another one of them contradictions. There ain't none of them in the Bible. No. But, but Brother Joe, lightning, thunder, wind, and rain, and waves slapping against that wooden vessel. It sounds like a noisy event. I'm sure it was. But do you remember a while ago when I made this statement? There is no darkness that can put out his light. Well, there is no disturbance that can silence his voice. You may be in a whirlwind and the enemy and the world gnashing at you and you're in the midst of weeping and wailing and crying. But I'm glad over the wind, over the waves, over the weeping, over the wailing, over the crying. Honey, there's a still small voice louder than... Someone said, has God ever spoke to you in an audible voice? Louder than that. Because when he thunders in the chambers of your soul, he said in John chapter number 10, my sheep hear my voice and they know me and a stranger they will not follow. There is no darkness that can put out his light and there is no disturbance in your life that can silence his voice over the clamor of the enemy, over the crashing of the waves. You will hear his voice. And he says, it is I. It is I. I thought it was interesting. Jesus said that in the midst of a storm. It is I. Now let me preface this so you don't think I'm ignorant. Anybody ever watched the Weather Channel? You know you need to get a life if all you gotta do is watch cooking shows, somebody play golf, or the Weather Channel. <laughs> Did you know there's a channel on there where they're killing big bucks 24 hours a day and catching fish? Why would they take a beautiful piece of woods where you can kill Bambi and turn it into a golf course? <laughs> he said, Brother Joe is playing golf a sin. If you play the way I play, it's not a sin. It's an abomination in the sight of God. Brother Pope, I'm like most men dependent Baptists. My convictions is what I don't like to do. I'm convicted about golf, but it's okay to go hunting. I'm against tennis, but it's okay to fish. And you ping pong players, God help all of you. Can I get an amen? But I was watching the Weather Channel a while back. I was going to Florida to preach, and they said, there's a major storm coming. You say, well, why didn't you go on? I didn't want to be on Interstate 95 with all them evacuees. And by the way, that Jim Contori dude that's got that hard hat on and that raincoat out there showing you he can stand in a 100 mile an hour wind, that ain't brave, that's dumb. <laughs> if I'm down there in Florida and one of them storm comes, you're looking at the next evacuee. <laughs> but I was watching that weather channel and that man said the strangest thing. He said, now you folks in Louisiana, look out. The eye of that storm has shifted to the, wait just a minute, wait just a minute. 
Oh, wait just a minute. The hurricane hunters, they're giving us, you people in Tampa, look out. That eye has shifted to the east. And I found out that night, that storm ain't a going nowhere where that eye don't tell it to go. And I found out something that night. You know where that eye is? It ain't on the front wall. It ain't on the back wall. It's not on the west quadrant or the east quadrant. It's right smack dab in the center. And you and I found out by watching the Weather Channel, them outer bands are blowing 150, them back bands are blowing 180, but right smack dab in the middle of the eye, all is calm. Now let me preface this. I know the eye of a hurricane is spelt like the eye in your head. And this is a personal pronoun, I. I know that. But what an I is to a natural storm, Jesus is the great I am to our storm. You know where Jesus is? He's in the center of our storm. You know what Jesus is? He's in the control room of our storm. And you know what Jesus is? He's the calm of our storm. Aren't you glad in the midst of it? They see Jesus and tonight he's not forsaken or forgot or failed any one of us. The disciples, the divine. The disciples, that's us. The divine, that's him. But I want to close with the last verse of the text. The destination. And when you reach the destination, that's it. You know where we're going? We're going to that's it. Notice what the Bible said. Then they willingly received him into the ship. And when they willingly received him into the ship, notice the very next word said with me. The word says, immediately. You know what that word immediately means? Everybody got your snappers? And all of God's people said, mm. you ready? And all of God's people said, that's what immediately means. If you're from Surrey County, it means rat now. And you spell it R-A-T. N-O-W, right now. If you're from Georgia, it's, I'm glad that's over. You know, now listen, I didn't get this off of Sermon Audio. I didn't get this out of R.G. Lee's 101 illustrations. This ain't a Maze Jackson or a Billy Kelly or a Joe Arthur or a David Gibbs story. This really happened. Without any jam on the bread. The Bible said when Jesus got on that boat, ready? Immediately the ship was at the land. You say, what's so big about that? You remember about 30 minutes ago or so? When I said they had eight miles and they'd only gone four? And it took them all night to do that. Remember? And they had four more to go and they're stuck in the middle. But as soon as Jesus stepped on that boat and all of God's people said, not amen. And all of God's people said, (laughs) 
ain't making it up. This ain't an illustration. That really happened. You say, explain it. All right. You say, but really explain it. Okay. I'll explain that when you explain this. And God said, let there be light. And God said, let the dry land appear. And God said, Eve, tell me how you want me to make Adam. <laughs> Only a blonde would fall for that, sister. <laughs> oh, my. Explain this. How does a black cow eat green grass and give white milk and yellow butter and you put ice in it and you got a milkshake? I can't explain it, but I've had a few. And by the way, that ain't a vest, that's a girdle. Say amen right there. My wife said it's a potholder. But anyway, I can't explain it. They had four miles to go. It took them all night to go four miles. But as soon as Jesus stepped on board, they were there. That's what the Bible said. And all of God's people said, by the way, you know how long it's going to take Jesus to come back? He's coming back in a moment in the... I believe when they got to the other side, just like... I believe they looked back and went, wow. I believe they may even said, well, that wasn't too far. I believe they looked back and said, well, that didn't take long at all. And I believe they looked back and said, ah, storms, nah. <laughs> Have you ever noticed when the trial first starts, when the affliction, when the sickness, when the trouble, when the bewilderment first starts, it feels like an eternity. It feels like you got a little hammer in Grandfather Mountain and you're just chipping away a little piece at a time. And then here comes Jesus. And he walks on top of your circumstances and speaks peace to your soul. And just like that, you're walking on the crumbled pieces because when Jesus steps on board, I can't sing anymore. My singing career was over before it got started. But I've learned to rap. I am from Atlanta, dude. You want me to do it, don't you? I will if you will. You're not from Atlanta, are you? You're from Harmony, right? But if I could sing, I'd sing. And the tolls of the road will seem nothing 
when I come to the end of the way. Think about that. And the toils of the road will seem nothing when I come to the end of the way. If I may quote one of my dear heroes who's in heaven, Samuel Robert Allen. Brother Sammy would say, hey friend, quit talking about coming to the end of the way. There's only one way and only one end of the Christian life and that's the one you get on at and ain't no getting off place. You know how long it's gonna take God to settle your nerves and your storm and your uncontrollable circumstances? And all of God's people said, You know what happened to their destination? It was reached. Who reached it? Everybody that got on in verse 15 got off in verse number 20. Nobody got chunked overboard along the trip. And someone said, preacher, do you think I'm gonna make it? Well, let me ask you this in closing. If you save, raise your right hand. If you know it, raise your left hand. If you're plumb glad about it, wave both of them and say hallelujah. Hallelujah. Oh, you're going to make it. Well, how do you know? I've read the last chapter. And I see these bunch of rednecks from Georgia and North Carolina and maybe a few Yankees. wearing right robes and gold crowns, singing worthy is the lamb. And it's the body of Christ. And if you're saved, you're in it. And you're gonna make it. Cause Jesus ain't the co-pilot. He's the pilot. And you don't need a co-pilot. Aren't you glad tonight? He's in control. While the pastor's coming, while the song people are coming. Do you know the difference in this text tonight between reaching the other side, making it like, and drowning in the sea? Here's the difference. The Bible said, and they willingly received him into the ship. If they'd have said, we got this. This is our boat. This ain't our first storm. We got it. I don't think it'd have ended all that good. And your life will end a lot better if you'll willingly. Jesus, I can't do this. But you can. And when you willingly let him on your boat, He'll do exceeding, abundant, and above all. Let's stand together. Father, we love you tonight. We thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the word of the Lord. And I pray, dear Lord, tonight that one of your children will hear your voice, see your power. And Lord, may we not row our vessels in the energy of the flesh, but willingly, Lord, this is your ship and this is your trip. Help us, Lord, to let you have the right of way. Speak to our hearts tonight. 
And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Pastor, you come. Thank you. Thank you, man. Love you too. Our eyes are closed tonight. Well, I wonder who's going. Who's going through the storm right now? I think it's without a shadow of a doubt, God. God had Brother Joe preach what he preached tonight. Somebody here is going through the storm of your life. Man, the enemy's come, tried to get you discouraged. Maybe tried to get you to quit. Maybe tried to even get you bitter against the Lord, against others. But tonight, during this time of invitation, maybe somebody needs to slip down to this old-fashioned altar and just, just recommit. Lord, I'm going to willingly let you come into my boat. I'm going to keep on keeping on. I'm going to ask our couple of our personal workers if they would come tonight, just find their way to the altar. Others are coming. Folks are coming right now. And it could be somebody needs prayer tonight. And so we're going to have some folks down here in the altar with a Bible. And if we can pray with you, hey, listen, why don't you slip out right now and come? Would you come while we wait? That's right. Folks are coming. Hey, how many of you are here tonight? And you'd say, Pastor, if I died tonight, I know beyond a shadow of any doubt, I know that I know that I'm saved on, on my way to heaven. If that's you without anybody looking, you just slip your hand up right now as a testimony. I know that I'm born again. Praise the Lord. That's wonderful. You can lower your hands. Is there anybody here tonight and you'd let me pray for you? I'm not going to come back and embarrass you. I just want to pray for you and say, Pastor, if I died tonight, I'm not sure of heaven. I'm not sure that I'd go to heaven. Would you pray for me tonight? And you'd slip your hand up right now and just wave it at me. Is there one anywhere? Preacher, remember me. I'm not sure that I'm saved. All right. As far as I can tell, that means everybody here tonight professes to be born again. I wonder how many are here tonight. And you'd say, Pastor, Brother Joe didn't know. Maybe nobody knows. But I'm going through a stormy time. I'm going through a stormy time in my life. Some things have happened I never thought would ever happen. And it seems like things are just sort of coming apart. Oh, I need your prayer tonight. I need your prayer. That God will help me to be faithful. You just slip your hand up right now. Just slip it up right there and right there and right there and there. Over here. God bless you. Thank you. Right there's a hand. Who else? Preacher, that's me. Pray for me. Pray for me. I see those hands. God bless you. Thank you. Hey, listen, just for a moment, we're going to pause. If you need to come, if you need to come, the altars are open. Would you come while we wait? While we wait, we're just going to keep our heads bowed just for a moment. We'll sing in a minute. But if you need to come, oh, listen, boy, I'm so glad there's encouragement with the Lord. Thank God he is in control, even of the storm. Would you come tonight while we wait? If you're watching our live stream right now, we're so glad to have you aboard. And there's a number on the bottom of your screen right now, 704-327-5662. And if you're watching right now and we can pray with you or you're watching this broadcast right now, and you say, Brother Pope, I don't know for sure that I'm on my way to heaven. Would you reach for your phone right now? Would you call that number? Amen. 
And we've got somebody that's waiting right by the phone. They're waiting to take your call right now. We would love to pray with you right now. Would you do that? Would you call that number? So, Father, thank you for what you're doing. Lord, thank you for this encouraging message. God, when it seems like life is falling apart, Lord, what a joy to know that you're in control. God, help us to see Jesus. Lord, even in the midst of the, the turbulent times, God, I pray tonight that you'd have your way in this invitation. Lord, if there's somebody else that needs to make a move, God, I pray right now you'd work in their heart. Father, as Brother Joe preached tonight, I pray that you draw them. Lord, that one that's here tonight that is lost and undone without Christ, Lord, may this be the night, this Thursday night of Magnify. Lord, I pray they'd come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Father, have thy way, please. And we sure thank you in Jesus' name. We're gonna sing this little chorus. You can look up this way tonight. We're gonna sing this little chorus. It just simply says, he touched me. And uh, the altar's still open if you need to come. We've got somebody here with a Bible. Be more than glad to pray with you if they can help you tonight. And so, hey, let's, aren't you glad for the day the Lord Jesus Christ touched you? Amen. We're going to sing it together. It's a choir. You sing it. Sing it. Are you ready? He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened. And now I know he touched me and made. Can we do it one more time? Lift up your voices tonight, sing it together. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And all oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something wonderful happened, and now I know he touched me and made.